So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Didn't this praise team do an incredible job? Musicians, media, singers. You know what I liked up here is there wasn't, nobody's old. We don't call people old. But there was, there was generations on this platform. There was generations. And I love that. I love, I love that we're a generational church. I absolutely love that. So let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6. We've dealt with 2 Kings 5, the parallel between Naaman and Gehazi. Then last Wednesday we learned that spiritual drowning doesn't look like spiritual drowning. Neither does backsliding look like what we've been told backsliding looks like. Instead, it's slow and subtle. Little by little, it's a progression of ineffectiveness and anyone is susceptible. That's why we must evaluate where we are daily. Because erosion doesn't happen overnight. And we, and we gave tools to combat spiritual erosion. Now, I'm not going to get into that. You can go back and watch those two series on our app, our website, on Facebook. But tonight, I want to give you something that God quickened me in my office. I had no idea this is what he was going to drop in my spirit today. So 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And the sons of the prophets... You don't know who that is. They are members of a band or guild of prophets. Sons of refers to membership in a group or class and does not imply a family relationship. Sons of the prophets suggest a community or a guild of prophets that followed Elijah. Now they're following Elisha. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. They said it's too small. What God is doing, we, had, we have to add on, we have to build, we have to prepare. Let us go, verse 2, we pray thee into Jordan, and take thence every man a beam. And let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I'll go. Elisha said, hey, look, if y'all want to go, I'll go. We'll go be a part of it. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood, verse 5. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried. He begged. He pleaded. And said, Master, it was borrowed. If you study that word cried in the Hebrew, he was desperate because axe heads were expensive back then. And it wasn't his, it was borrowed. And it seems like I lost it. It's gone. It's at the bottom of the muddy Jordan. So anybody reading this story, would the common sense factor would kick in and you would say, building is over. It's done. There's no more building. He lost the tool we needed to get the wood to build what we needed to build. It's over. That's where God spoke to me and that's where I'm going to leave you today. Because God spoke this word to me today. The end. Or is it? The end, or is it? 
Hey, we got a lot working against us tonight. Let's be honest. There's a lot of chaos in our world. We've got a lot of people that's a part of our local body that is, has had some type of sickness and they're going through a lot. There's been funerals the last three weeks and, and the enemy wants to say, well, the river, y'all have had incredible revival. Y'all, y'all are building and I'm going to get into what happened today and it, it, I believe it's going to absolutely help somebody. But y'all been building, y'all been baptizing, y'all been having revival, but now you've lost a little bit of the edge that you had. So it's over. The end. But I've come to ask, or is it? Or is it? Heavenly Father, I need your anointing today. I need your power, God. Help me to deliver your word the way you want it to deliver, to speak to these precious people, God. We've been led into your presence. Now let your anointing go forth. Let it find good ground and let it produce in someone's life. Someone shout in Jesus' name. If you love him, give the Lord a hand clap of praise and let him know how worthy he is. You may be seated. One of the most comforting truths of Scripture is that God is concerned about the details of our lives. He's concerned about the details. The psalmist said this, The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. Therefore, He delights in every detail of their lives. And then you flip to the book of Matthew and you find out it, it kind of doubles down on that and says God cares what happens even more than you do. So he pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. Then Jesus warns us and encourages us in Luke 21 and 18. There's no telling who will hate you because of me. Boy, that sounds like 2021 right now, huh? Don't take a stand for righteousness and do what's right. There's no telling who will hate you for standing up for what you believe in. Even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs on your head or in my care but the most profound scripture about the care that God has for us is found in Romans 8 and 28 and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them someone needs to shout a little bit right now over that because when we believe that all things work together for good, it redefines the bad things that happen in our life. Now, the worst day of our life can turn into a launching pad for us to operate on a new level. Think about it. This one verse is a silver lining to every storm cloud, reminding us that every downside has a potential upside. And when we interpret life through the prism of Romans 8 and 28, it gives us a quiet confidence that everything will be all right, whether we understand how or when and how God's going to show up and when he's going to operate it. God said everything is working together. In fact, he reassures you that the best is yet to come because it's not about knowing or understanding the events of our lives, but it's about trusting and knowing God. For example, we don't focus on the pattern of the cloth, but we focus on the designer of the fabric. We know all things work together for good, not by listening to the notes of the symphony, but by knowing the composer of the music. Because sometimes we all get out of alignment. Sometimes we hit the wrong note. But it's not about the music we play. It's about the one composing the music that can take that bad note and incorporate it into something great in our lives. 
we don't know and probably will never know or have all the answers to why tragedy happens. Car wrecks, plane crashes. Why do good people get sick? Man, I, I ask myself that question all the time. Why, why does it happen? Why does it have to happen? Why do we have to go through things? Why is there battles and why is there struggles? We, we don't know, but we do know through Scripture that God works and He never forgets about us. No matter how deep the pit is, no matter how dark the valley is, no matter how bad the struggle is, when I open this Word, I realize that God knows exactly where I am. He knows what I'm going through. He knows how to comfort me. How are you going to make it through? I don't know. Just by the grace of God. How are you going to get through all that? I don't know. No, I'm just going to lean not on my own understanding. I'm just going to trust that God knows. Now, I'm not saying that, that bad things are good. I don't want you to misinterpret that. That's sadistic. However, I am saying that no matter how bad things are, God can use them for good. When Candy Leitner lost her 13-year-old daughter to a hit-and-run drunk driver, there was nothing good about it. Candy got mad, but then she formed a group called MAD, M-A-D-D, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And since its founding in 1980, MAD has helped save countless lives. But the genesis of her life-saving efforts was something she didn't understand, proving that God can take the wounds that we have in our life and do something powerful with them. I can't tell you why you went through the tragedy you went through, but I can tell you that God can take your wounds and minister to somebody else that may go through tragedy and may go through heart. I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Don't you discredit what God can do with your pain. In fact, it's going to be a part of your healing process. Your pain is going to be leveraged for someone else's gain. And God somehow, some way turns, if only, into what ifs for our lives. What if God can use this to advance the gospel? What if God can use this wound to spark revival? What if God can use this to stir you up to go win more souls than, than that? Listen, the enemy wants, wants what you've been through to push you back, but God wants to use it to pull you out because he's got a, he's got a, he's got a task for you. He's got a job for you. He's got somebody that you need to reach listen someone needs to get mad at the devil and say we're getting ready to take our struggles and use them against you you know what we're getting ready to do we're getting ready to do our own mad program no more victims we're going to be on a mission nobody else is going to die lost nobody else I'm on a mission everybody I come in contact with I'm going to try to get no more victims no more victims no more no more I've had enough I'm going to use my tragedy and my pain to reach for those that are broken and hurt the end end or is it the end or is it because I feel like God wants me to tell someone that he can do more in your life than you ever imagined he's not done with you he's not done with your story and every setback has really positioned you where God can use you greater than you've ever imagined. I know you didn't ask for it. I know you would go back and change everything if you could. But here we are today. And you're saying, God, what am I supposed to do with that pain? And God says, put it in my hands and let me make a masterpiece. 
All the pain and the hurt that you feel is going to be the catalyst for you to help others. And every failure is going to be your backstory that testifies if God can do it for you, he can do it for anybody. If God can deliver you, uh, he can deliver. Don't look at me and say, well, I wish I was like the preacher. No, you are you. Uh, You've got a story. You can minister to people I can never touch because you've been through some things. You just got to answer the question. Is this the end? Or is it? Just this week I was thinking about everything going on in our world. I was thinking about the pandemic. Shutdowns. Mask mandates. Vaccines. Government control. Foundation is being laid for the Antichrist to rise up. And Do I need to hit on that for a little while? Does everybody got a vision? Open your eyes. It's being laid. Foundation is being laid right now. Social unrest. And the list goes on and on. Not even getting into the spiritual warfare happening right now. I can tell you that this last month especially has been some of the strongest spiritual warfare that I've ever fought in nine years of pastoring. Because we all got to understand everything in the physical mirrors what's taking place in the spiritual Yet in the middle of all of this, we've experienced growth and revival at the river. We've been a lighthouse in the middle of the darkness. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have pushed back the darkness in this community and away from our families and away from our friends. I was thinking about this today and God reminded me what he put in my spirit at the very beginning of all of this. He impressed on me. I'll never forget. I wrote it down. He impressed on me that the river would be a place of restoration, healing, power, anointing and abundance. A watering hole for many who are tired and weary. He was speaking revival and growth to me during quarantine. We were locked up and he was telling me this is what I'm getting ready to do at the river. Everything was shut down and God God had me to himself. And he was just pouring into my spirit. So I started preparing. I started warring in the spirit. And I started preparing to build. And God showed me that revival in the Bible has always been compared to water. And that water coming to a thirsty land i do say water can't help it we were little river at the time but god took me to ezekiel 47 and said this is what i want to do in tickfall louisiana verses six through nine he asked me have you been watching son of man then he led me back along the riverbank when i returned i was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river And he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living creatures wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. You hear that? When this river makes its way to the Dead Sea where there can be no marine life. When the river gets to the Dead Sea, it'll bring the Dead Sea to life. And they'll be able... There'll be fish that will be able to live in a place that is supposed to be unlivable. And life will flourish wherever, wherever the water flows. Life, life that this river would flow from the Sea of Galilee south through the Jordan River and it empty into the Dead Sea. Now you've got to understand something. The Dead Sea has the highest level of, of, of salinity of, than any lake on earth. It is 9.6 times as salty as the ocean, and therefore no marine life can exist in it. 
Nevertheless, in times of large-scale flooding, the, the salinity percentage can drop from its usual 35% to around 30% or lower. And during, during those times, marine life is able to live uh, in the Dead Sea. And the Lord began to deal with me about what's going on our, in our world. It's been a flood of chaos in this world. But also God spoke to me. He said, why, it's a flood of chaos in the world. It's also going to be a flood of my presence. And the river of life is going to flow out of its banks. And it's going to flow into a chaotic world. And there are going to be Christians that's going to be able to walk in the middle of all this chaos. And said, I'm here to bring life. I'm here to tell you you can make it. I'm here to tell you with all this going on, don't just go to a corner and shut down. You can live. In the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. The enemy doesn't want us prophesying. And he doesn't want us having vision. And he doesn't want us to dream dreams. But I've come to tell him this isn't the end of revival. It's only the beginning. Because everything, everything the river touch, touches will live. Verse 10 stated that the fish will be many. That symbolizes how great the harvest will be spiritual life in the middle of a dead world. They are coming from the north, the south, and the west. Not looking for synthetic, but authentic. They're not looking for fake or phony. They're looking for the gifts of the Spirit. They're looking for prophecy. They're looking for vision. And they're looking for the presence of God to invade their life. That's when God told me, you can no longer be little river. You have to be the river. According to Ezekiel 47. Because God told me to create the capacity. And to get ready. The miracle is in the add-on is what he began to speak to me. Make room because, because my... My power is endless is what God said. But I can only feel what you give me. If you bring me a cup, I'll fill it. If you bring me a bucket, I'll fill it. I told God I'm not bringing any of that. I'm bringing you a storehouse. I'm bringing you a barn. I'm going to build it as big as I can build it. Because I want to hold the harvest. And literally, and literally, literally. I went and bought the movie Field of Dreams because I felt like Kevin Costner. <laughs> I felt like him. I felt like he did in that movie. If you build it, they will come. If you'll make room, they'll show up. We weren't even done with phase one and two and we doubled within one year. During the flood of this world, the river has flowed and people have been revived. Oh, see what I did there? See what I let me say that again. During this year, the river has flowed uh, and there has been people that has been uh, revived because this is what God has called us to do. Uh, listen. We've witnessed close to a 100 soul revival. And it's only August. Addicts have sobered up. The sick have been healed. The depression have got joy. Come on, prodigals have awakened and said, I got to get back to the house. All because somebody said we're in a pandemic. But we'll prepare for more. You hear me? Why? Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. 
And he has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. And he has told the river to be a place that has an anointing that's going to set the oppressed free. And we will not, I've come to tell the enemy, we will not stop. We will face opposition. There will be struggles. There will be battles. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He's working it all out our good can I finish out so this is what happens happening in our text brother Jay naming a popular powerful Syrian general who had leprosy showed up and Elisha told him he said look I could take you to a place if you dip seven times in a river you're going to come out and you no longer gonna have leprosy and Naaman Went to that river and he dipped seven times and he came out and his skin was like the skin of a baby. Well, I'm about to go dip in a river. It was powerful. It was a powerful moment because throughout Jewish culture, leprosy was believed to be a representation of sin. And if you had leprosy, you were believed to be a sinner. But when he went down to the river, his condition was reversed and a sinner was delivered. So ironically, when Elisha returns to educate the young prophets, he, the Elisha comes and says, gather around, gather around. Let me just tell you what happened. Naaman, the powerful Syrian general. You know what God has spoken to me? There's going to be people in our community that's going to walk in these doors and all over the area, people know who they are. And when they come here, people's going to know they were bound. But when they leave, they're going to know they've been healed and delivered. I could see Elisha. You'll never believe what happened. One of the sons of the prophet breaks out a tambourine, man. I mean, they got an organ in the background. I mean, they have in church. Elisha saying revival is having Naaman was healed. So they tell Elisha, they said, look, revival's taking place. And the place we're at is too small. We're going to hinder, hinder revival, so we need to build a bigger place beside the Jordan River at the same place where Naaman's sin had been washed away. This is not the end. There's more that God wants to do. Because everybody in this place, if you get to a place to where you don't want no more, then when the vessels run out, runs out, the oil will run out too. You've got to keep bringing vessels. There's always got to be room. I've always got to expand. So they set out. Elisha said, let's do it. They said, come with us. He said, I'll go with you. So they set out and everybody began to do their part. Everybody was a tree cutter. Everybody began to build doesn't that sound like a New Testament revelation of the church? That we're all a kingdom of priests? Everybody begins to build. They all begin to build. They begin to expand. And they arrive at the Jordan River. And they begin to work. And, and, and each student is doing their, their part. But soon a problem arises. While cutting down a tree, one of the young men's axe head came flying off the handle. And it fell into the muddy Jordan. And it sinks to the bottom. The place that sparked revival now is hindering revival. Backsliding usually starts in the same place our burdens start at. He was in the same position he was once excited about, but now his work is suddenly ineffective. And no matter how much he tried to trot 
chop down a tree with just the handle. It will never work. He could have perfected his tree cutting motion. He could have gone to tree cutting classes. But without the cutting edge of the axe head, he would never be able to cut down another tree. So he's weary. He's frustrated. And he's unproductive. Going through the motions isn't going to cut it. No pun intended. He needed the edge of the axe head. And I've come to tell somebody in this place, we can't forget that we can't do this without the power of God. We can't do it on our own. We can't go through the motions. We can't just show up and do ritualistic formations of worship. We've got to have the presence of God. I can imagine. I can imagine. This is just me. The progression of, infect, of ineffectiveness. I can imagine as he cut down one tree. Chop. Chop. Cuts down a second tree. Chop. Chop. Gets to the third. Sound effects, man. I'm telling you, I'm on another level. Chop. Chop. But he gets to the fourth and he notices something. He's like, man, I was cutting through them trees good. But all of a sudden, my blade must be getting a little dull. But instead of pulling back and sharpening the blade and making sure that his spirit is in alignment, making sure that he's still doing what he knows to do, he keeps trying to chop down trees. I could hear there's a song in the background as he continues to do it on, do it on his own. Here I go again. He was going on his own again. Because I can tell you this, our anointing does have an expiration date. You don't want to hear that. You know when it expired? Yesterday. Every day I got to have a fresh anointing. If I'm living off the experience I had with God yesterday, then I'm a day late and a dollar short in what God wants to do in my life. You know why? You know what they would do? Those, shepherd, those shepherds in the Bible would take that oil. And if, 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 if one of them sheep was attacked by a predator and it bit half their ear off, and that sheep came, came to that shepherd and he saw that, that half his ear was missing. He would take that oil and he would pour it on the ear of that sheep. And when he poured it on the ear of that sheep, it wouldn't make the ear grow back. But what it would do is it would soothe it. And it would take the pain away for a moment. And, and then, and then that they say that serpents or snakes don't like the smell of oil. So they would pour that oil on the head of the sheep. And if a snake tried to bite a sheep with, with oil on its head, it would just slide off. It couldn't get its fangs uh, into the head of that sheep. And then it kept the insects away. Jesus would often in the New Testament practiced this he would pull after there was a great miracle of the feeding of the multitude he would pull back and he would go to a place of solitude and spiritually speaking he would begin to apply, to apply that oil to his wounds because for every battle we get wounded every bit of spiritual warfare that we go through there, there there's something that is taken out of us and if we don't go to a place of solitude and spend time with God and refresh our anointing and apply it to our wounds the enemy will slip in and if he don't smell oil on our life he'll destroy us but when he shows up my head's been anointed with oil I've got the the presence of God. The Spirit of God is in my life. Spirit, I've got to have the oil. It's not by might nor by power. 
It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. I've got to have the oil in my life. I've got to make sure that, that I'm flowing in the presence of God. Listen, we can't come to church and not have an axe head. We can't come to church and expect just me being able to preach good is going to do it or musicians singing good is going to do it or just because we have a nice church. No, when they get here, let there be somebody that knows how to chop down some trees and build some things spiritually. God to have that cutting edge in my life. The anointing is what separates us from just being a social club. The anointing is what makes me a preacher and not a public speaker. I need fresh oil. The oil is what, what, what separates what we do from entertainment. Because if we don't have the oil and there's no, there's no anointing and there's no power, then what we do here is just entertainment. We just come to entertain you. But if the anointing that destroys the yoke, if we've got the biting power of the axe head, then we're able to build, we're able to destroy, we're able to tear the enemy's kingdom down because we've been anointed. It was Jesus that said this in Acts 10 and 38. I'm sorry, not Jesus. They said this about Jesus. How God anoints Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And his anointed group of ragtag followers became spiritual powerhouses to turn their world upside down. Because they were anointed just like Jesus Christ was anointed. Miracles and revival took place in the book of Acts. Because when they went somewhere, they didn't just have, they didn't just have a stick. They had an axe head and they were able to build the kingdom of God. And sometimes you've got to stop swinging and you've got to make sure you still got anointing on your life. Sometimes you've got to quit and pull back and make sure that you still got the power of God you got to pray you got to fast you got to read the word of God you got to sharpen the edge of the axe because Ecclesiastes 10 and 10 says this using a dull axe requires great strength so sharpen the blade and now the son of the prophet has lost the tool he needed most the anointing is gone the how is the building going to be finished how's the rest of the wood going to be gotten what are we going to do? This is the end. Elisha, it started out so good. It was wonderful. It was powerful. And all of a sudden, in just one stroke of an axe, uh, uh, with an axe head, it flew off and went into the muddy river of Jordan. And everything collapses. Everything comes to a grinding halt. And a crisis appears. And it looks like it's the end. And he didn't mean to lose it. Neither do you or I. Our responsibilities overwhelm us, and before we know it, we don't have a relationship with Christ anymore. Something happened that threw us off course, and we've got offended, and there's disunity, and there's squabbles, and then there's a struggle, and then there's, there's all this happening. And then, and then while we're discouraged, the voice of Satan comes in. It gives, it gives him an open door to our soul, and in the middle of weeping over what we lost, that despairing voice is the loudest. What are you going to do now? It's over. You're never going to make it back. You've lost it. It's never going to come back. You don't have the resources. It was great while it lasted. Lasted, but now you're discouraged. And I got to be real with you. This happened to me in the month of July. We were rolling. Revival was happening. And all of a sudden, sickness and confusion showed up. We thought we were past COVID, but here we are now with, with, with fear resonating in our hearts. Great people are battling. Sick. And all of a sudden, it feels like the enemy's trying to dam up the river. Couldn't wait to say, damn up the river. 
Seems like he's trying to barricade the flow. What you don't know is phase three of the building program came to a halt. Prices skyrocketed. The appraisal that we got on our building wasn't enough to cover what we needed to finish. And the bank tells us that we may not be eligible to get the amount we need to finish and build what God told me to build. And in the midst of all this, spiritual warfare is going on. My phone is ringing 100 times a day. I'm getting 95,000 text messages. I got to check on people. I've got to get meals. And I don't need any pity because I love what I do. I was on my way home today. I was here all day. Wife said, babe, how's your day? I said, it's wonderful because I love what I do. But you've got to understand when, 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 when you're feeling dull, you've been swinging that axe trying to build. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all this is coming at you at one time. I'm just like you. The discouraging voice of the enemy slips into my soul and says, why don't you just stop? Don't build nothing else. So the question started in my mind. Did I really hear clearly from God? Should we just stop adding on? Is the tenants going to come back? Are these precious people that are sick, are they going to be okay? So I stand in the gap. I build the hedge. I speak virtue and healing. I text them scriptures and verses. All the while, the axe head is getting dull. I'm tired, but I keep chopping until, if I can be honest, I didn't even realize that my edge was no longer there. And before long, I look and the axe head is gone. And I'm left. Left with just a stick. It's been a great ride. And the enemy tells me it's over the end. And I felt like the son of the prophet when he went to Elisha. And he said, Elisha, just help me, please. Because I know we were doing the right thing, but I've lost it. Help me. And I begin to cry today in my office. God, I know I heard from you and I know I was doing the right things. But here we are. And I can't find the axe head and I don't know what to do. But then something happened today that proved Romans 8 and 28 to me. I started realizing how great God was and I just began to thank him. And I said, God, I, 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 feel, like, I feel like that evangelist, Dr. Orr, who was in a, in a place that he didn't speak their language. And he said, God, I just, want, I just want a bed with four legs. That's all I want. He was tired and weary. He said, God, I just want a bed with four legs. Somehow, somehow he remembered that, that one of his friends knew somebody that lived there. And, and he goes, he don't know the language. And he goes and he finds a way to communicate. He looks th this person up. He goes to their house. He knocks on the door. And the woman says, look, they couldn't hardly communicate. She didn't understand. Finally, she realizes that it's an evangelist. It's Dr. Orr. She runs out, goes and gets her husband. He leaves his job and, job and come home and and. and they start writing down and start trying to communicate. And somebody comes in and interprets. And he says, this man says, Dr. Orr, I pray that you would come. Because we have, we have people that need revival. They need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And they took him. They took him to a revival that was already going on. And he preached to 700 people. But watch this. They asked him, where are you staying? He said, I don't know. They said, well, we got a place already prepared. They take him to a hotel, and the bellhop takes him to his room. And when they get him to his room, there's not a bed with four legs. There's four beds in the room. And the bellhop looks at him and says, you can sleep on all four beds if you want to. And God spoke to me and said, you've been praying for a bed with four legs, but I'm getting ready to give you four beds because I can do it. Somebody got to hear me right now. You've been expecting one thing, but wait till God gets through with Romans 8 and 28. It's going to be more than you can imagine. 
Watch this. I'm done. Musicians, you can come. I'm done. So I'm in my office and, and I'm praying. And the Holy Spirit charged my spirit and it challenged me. It said, the Holy Spirit, now this isn't the enemy. The Holy Spirit says, hey, Rev, is this the end or is it? I said, who are you talking to in my office like that? Calm down. But then all of a sudden there was, there was a Holy Ghost unction that rose up on the inside of me. And I shouted, this is only the beginning. And when I, when I said, this is only the beginning, my phone rang. And I picked up the phone and it was the bank. And they said, hey, look, we've got everything covered. We got everything you need. Uh, come sign on Monday. Uh, it's going to be simple. I called the contractor. We're starting in a week or two because God said, is this the end or is it? Are you ready to quit? Do you want to throw in the towel? Do you want to give up uh, or do you want more? We stand. Elisha said, where did you lose it? And that man took that prophet down to the river. He said, this is where I lost it, prophet. And the prophet took a stick and threw it into the water. And when that stick hit the water, that axe head came to the surface and that calling, that purpose, swam back to the man that lost it. And when it got there, the prophet said, reach down and pick it up. And God spoke to me to tell somebody, it's swimming back to you right now. But you got to be willing to reach down. you got to be willing to pick it up. you got to go back to where you lost it. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down.